Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's with uh, both a sense of joy and trembling that I come to deliver your word, and I pray that it is with both joy and trembling that we're all here to listen. Thank you, God, for giving us this time once again, and your word, which is going to accomplish its purpose even as it goes out this morning. So I pray for much blessing and encouragement as we continue on in this precious gospel of Mark. Thank you, Lord, for your timing and wisdom in all things. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's turn to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And it's great to see that in our own Bibles. And as you look at the last verse from last Sunday, it was verse 34, and it ended with these words, after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. And that concludes the series of attacks that the Jewish religious religious leaders were making towards Jesus, trying to trap him and destroy him, get him in trouble, scheming so that he would be just in dire straits with the Roman authorities, and which will eventually lead to his death. But after these attacks, he, he silenced them with his answers, right? He shut them down. No one would dare ask him any more questions. And as I was thinking on those many assaults from the Jewish leaders on Jesus, and mind you, these are coming from the most respected, the most spiritual, the most religious of all people, all men in the land of the time, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the elders, the, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, a thought came to mind that seemed worthy of attention as we get into our passage today. And let me just say that the particular scribe that we met last Sunday, I think that he was uh, a bit more genuine, a bit more sincere, but surely he would have been the exception. Okay, the rest of the men who were attacking the Lord it seems they were in dire need of applying biblical wisdom in the way that they communicated, the way that they talked. Someone should have reminded them at some point of what the Proverbs say about the wisdom of restraining our speech and doing some real listening instead. For example, let me just give you a smattering of Proverbs, okay? Proverbs 17, verse 27 says, He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs 10, 19, some of you know this. Where there are many words, transgression is what? Unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. It guards his mouth and his tongue. It doesn't... He's not talking about masks. He's not talking about, you know, like covering yourself. He's talking about your words, right, the words you speak. He who guards his words, his speech, guards his soul from troubles. One more, Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Someone should have reminded the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they were, they were pouring out evil things out of their mouths rather than, rather than pondering their answer, pondering their speech, pondering their talk as the righteous would do. And so this kind of leads us to, to James chapter 1, right? Maybe some of you were thinking that this is like the, the wisdom of the New Testament, wisdom book of the New Testament, James 1, verses 19 and 20. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So, wow, this, um, sometimes, maybe, maybe some of us are thinking of, of ourselves, or some of you are like elbowing your, your gabby spouse, say, hey, this is for you, okay? But I'm talking about the Pharisees in here, um, and the, the scribes and everything, but maybe, maybe this is something for us today as well to consider. Because Psalm 141, verse 3 
says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Okay? In other words, Lord, help me with my speech. Help me restrain my words. Help me not just to think that I'm the only one in the room and i got to be speaking all the time. The words I use when I talk with people, help me, help me. So I think the Pharisees, I think the scribes could have used that. Someone sharing that word of wisdom, which they believed in, right? The Sadducees, not, not as much, but the rest of them. Well, despite the evil and foolish intent of these religious leaders' attacks, Jesus never, ever sins in his own speech, does he? He himself is perfect in all his responses. He's always loving God fully with his whole heart, soul, mind, strength, always loving his neighbors, who's everyone, even these enemies who are attacking him. His replies were always gracious. They were always true, perfectly loving every single time. He was always seeking the highest good of others. Okay, our definition of love, right? So no one dared ask him any more questions. They didn't even venture it. Now in today's passage, it's, it's Jesus' turn to ask a few questions. And his, his questions here are for the purpose of teaching, for correction, admonishing. He'll follow up these questions with a plain word of warning as well. All the folks who are listening at that time desperately needed to hear what he has to say. And I would say that each of us here this morning also very much need to hear what he says. Think about it once again. Hey, Jesus knows in just a couple more days he is going to be heading to the cross, being crucified at the hands of evil men okay, according to the sovereign will and purpose and glorious plan of God for the redemption of sinners. So in these last few days here on earth, what does he decide to teach on? Okay, so let's, let's look at the text. Mark chapter 12. Verses 35 to 40 is our passage for today. And the sermon title is, Your Doctrine and Life Matters. Your Doctrine and Your Life Matters. And if you are able to, please stand with me as we honor God's word. If you can't, it's totally understandable. But verses 35 to 40 from Mark chapter 12 is our passage today. And this is the word of God. And Jesus began to say, as he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. In his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Please be seated. Our theme for this passage is very simple. I think you'll get it right from the text. Christians must heed Jesus' correction of false theology and his warning about false teachers. Hey, uh, you have an insert uh, this morning in your bulletins if you want to take notes or the outline is there for you. Christians must heed Jesus' correction of false theology and his warning about false teachers. So two main points today. And verses 35 to 37 make up the first point, which is simply this. Be careful of false theology. Be careful of false theology. Once again, this is Passion Week, right? Passion Week, the week of Christ's passion. That is just a few days before he is crucified. So Judas's betrayal, the false accusations, the mock trials the scourgings and beatings that Jesus will undergo are right around the corner. But in the scene here, the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 22 says the Pharisees there too, the 12 disciples and a, a crowd of people, once again, are around him as he's in the temple teaching. And as I said, this teaching is for instruction, it's for correction, and it's 
correction on the scribes and Pharisees' false theology. And you want to write this word in your notes if you're taking notes. More specifically, their false Christology. Christology. They had a wrong understanding of the Messiah. And those of us who have been here for a while understand that Jesus' last name was not Christ. He's not Mr. Christ. He is Jesus of Nazareth. And Christ is a title. It means Christos, Greek. It means Messiah. It means anointed one. And so they had a wrong understanding of the Messiah, of the Messiah's nature, of his person. Listen, Matthew's account in Matthew 22, it begins with Jesus asking the Pharisees. He asked them, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And so then Mark's, Mark's in verse 35 here, it says, Jesus says, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Okay. And then um, at the end he says, David calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? Matthew 22, verse 45, parallel passage again. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Okay, so putting all of that together, Pharisees are there, scribes are there. They're questioned by Jesus. Basically, Jesus' question to them is, whose son is the Messiah? Whose son is the Christ? And they reply, the son of David. And my question for you, is this correct? Are they right? Yes, they're right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's correct. Okay? Um, the son of David is a well-known, familiar title for the Messiah. It is the truth, but it's just not the whole truth. Okay, that title, the son of David, means that the Messiah is and will be a descendant of David, coming from the physical line of King David. His family tree, the, the Christ family tree, his lineage will connect with David. So the scribes, the Pharisees, they're correct on that. They're right. Okay, this was promised to David in God's covenant with him, right? 2 Samuel 7, that's where the Davidic covenant is found. I'm not going to read it, but 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16. This is promised that the Messiah will come through the, the line of David. By the way, did Jesus fit the bill of that requirement? Yes, okay, both of Jesus' earthly parents were direct descendants of David. This is clear from the genealogies found in Matthew chapter 1. Okay, Matthew opens his gospel with that wonderful genealogy. And then Luke, in chapter 3, verses 23 to 38, also traces the genealogy there. So I want you to understand that these genealogical records were very carefully preserved and kept in the temple. And the Sanhedrin, all these religious leaders, they, they could have easily verified or nullified the claims of Jesus to be the Messiah. Okay, they could have shut down that claim right away. Just check the books. But none of his enemies could ever challenge him on this, his Davidic ancestry, which indicates that it was valid. So here's the problem. Okay, there was something, something more to Messiahship, okay, the nature of the Messiah that the Pharisees and scribes were missing. They were missing a very key element. See, their understanding of the Messiah was focused on the physical, the earthly. They understood that Messiah would be a descendant of David, and with this incomplete understanding, their focus was on political, military, um, just earthly kingdom rule. Okay. Um, Israel coming back to a place of prominence and power. And so the Messiah was supposed to bring this. He was supposed to be this military leader who was going to deliver Israel. So this is an incomplete understanding of the nature and person and purpose of the Messiah. Okay. It was a false theology, a false Christology. They didn't understand or believe that there was something greater about the Messiah, greater than even King David himself. They couldn't get that anticipation of, of Israel's restoration okay, out of their minds. Their hope was in a political earthly kingdom rather than God's spiritual eternal kingdom. They didn't have that right understanding of who Messiah was. Okay, so listen, they were so wrapped up in their earthly vision and their earthly focus 
that they couldn't see Jesus for who he was as the actual anointed one, the actual deliverer, the actual Christ, the son of David in the ultimate sense. So Jesus must correct them and their false theology. He asked them with all the people there in the temple. Okay, once again, he is, he is instructing, he is correcting, but he's also, I would say, inviting. Okay, this correction of their theology is an opportunity for them to realize that he is actually the Messiah and for them to repent of their unbelief, their, uh, repent of their rejection, realize their wrong theology. So he asked them, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Verse 37, so in what sense is he his son? If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Right? So you understand what he's asking? In what way, in what sense, how is it that the Messiah is the son of David, and yet David calls him Lord? Right? And he, he, he opens it up by saying, David himself says in the Spirit, right, or by the Spirit. Okay, so where does David say that? In the Spirit, by the Spirit. He says it in Psalm 110. So can we just turn there for a moment? Because I want to make sure we all understand this. Psalm 110. By the way, this is a good reference for all Scripture being inspired by God, right? Breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. And uh, 2 Peter 1.21, right? Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. In this case, David. Psalm 110. And this is the verse that Jesus is referring to. And once again, it's a psalm of David. And the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And this was a widely known as a messianic psalm. It's written by David. It describes the promise and power of the Messiah to come. And as such, it's quoted several times by the New Testament writers, which we'll get to in a minute. But King David, who is speaking in the Holy Spirit, somehow has been privy to this conversation between the Lord, Yahweh, and my Lord, Adonai. Okay, some of us know that Yahweh, all ca- or Lord, all caps, especially if you have the NASB, It means Yahweh. It's referring to the covenant-keeping God. I am that I am, Yahweh. And that Lord, capital L, small o-r-d, especially in the Old Testament, is is master. Adonai is the Hebrew word. So Yahweh says to my Lord, my master, this is David, right? So King David is calling the Messiah my Lord here. So what's the significance of that, which Jesus is trying to bring out? Hopefully we can see that David is making a distinction between Yahweh and Adonai. Yahweh, Jehovah, he is addressing King David's master. David's master is the anointed one, the Messiah. This whole psalm is about the Messiah, right? The promise and the power. So what's promised to this Messiah by Yahweh is such preeminence, such power, such authority, and such majesty. It's fitting only for someone who is a far greater authority than even such a one as King David himself. Okay, as William Hendrickson writes, it is language that, quote, would be proper only for one who, as to his person from all eternity, was, is now, and forever will be God. And... I'm not going to read the psalm for time's sake, but uh, this, this is the language that is spoken, even from the very first words that I read. And so, this psalm was recognized as referring to the Messiah by the Jews, by the Pharisees, by the scribes, by the, by the rabbis of old, by Jesus, and by the following New Testament writers. And um, you might want to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Peter in his first sermon. This is one of the New Testament writers referring to Psalm 110 that I mentioned just a moment ago. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 32, as he's kind of wrapping up his sermon at Pentecost there. Verse 32, Acts 2, he says, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all, we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Here it is, verse 34. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself, David himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In other words, Psalm 110 is referring to the Messiah who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And so um, you can just jot this down. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 27. It's another place that Psalm 110 is mentioned. Hebrews 1, verse 13, as the writer of Hebrews is describing Jesus as far superior to angels. He mentions that, Hebrews 1, 13. Um, I will read Hebrews 10, verses 11 to 13. You can either turn there or just listen to me. But Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. It says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This is human priests, right? But 12, But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. There it is, Psalm 110, right? The quote. So this is who David was writing about in Psalm 110. Not simply an earthly ruler or king. As powerful and mighty and strong and just as they can be. Kings, uh, they ruled back in the day. David, the king himself, calls the Messiah my Lord. And that's the key missing piece from the Pharisees and scribes' theology or Christology. There's a helpful quote from a pastor of yore named Edward Reynolds commenting on my Lord in Psalm 110 there. And listen, quote, he says, From hence we learn that though Christ was a man, yet he was more than a bare man, since he is Lord to his father David. For by natural law, no son is Lord to his father. Domination doth never ascend. There must be something above nature in him to make him his father's sovereign, as our Savior himself argues from these words in Mark 12, end quote. Okay? So um, hopefully that's clear, clear as, as, as day. Um, but we've got to continue. So uh, Mark, Mark 12, 36 and Psalm 110, okay, it says, Your enemies, make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Mark 12, as Jesus is quoting, it says, Until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Basically the same meaning. And so I just want us to, to note a couple things okay, from the rest of that um, quoting of Psalm 110. All right? We should briefly note. An obvious one is that the Messiah is seated at God, at Yahweh's right hand. Right? This, is a, this is an elevated position, a divine position of power. It symbolizes the Messiah being co-equal with the Father in authority and rank. So we have to get our theology right, right? We have to get our triune God theology right, our Christology right. Another thing is this. He says, until I put your enemies beneath your feet, okay, or your enemies a footstool for your feet. And I just want us to note that the conquest of Christ's enemies is like simply removing a stool into its place. It's no difficulty for God whatsoever. Okay, what ease of victory is described here over the enemies of Christ, right? Some of whom he's speaking to in this very moment. To quote Charles Spurgeon, he says, they are before him as nothing, less than nothing, the drop of a bucket, the dust of the balance, a very little thing, end quote. So if any of you just get frustrated with the way things are going in this world or just distressed with uh, just the evil, just the enemies of God in this world, and just the, the just horrible things that are happening uh, just out there, understand, okay, God has no difficulty vanquishing his enemies, right? It's, um, it's no big thing for him. So we should, we should place our trust in him rather than getting overly anxious about the way things in this world are going. Have a, have a kingdom, eternal, heavenly focus rather than things of this earth. And the last thing I want us to consider is the sense of order, okay, the sense of rightness that comes when Jesus' enemies are, are vanquished. His, his, 
They're just beneath his feet. They're done, right, under his feet. I want us to notice even the, the beauty of when that happens. Okay, it's the day Peter called in Acts chapter 3, his second sermon, okay, the times of the restoration of all things, okay, the restitution of all things. That will be a, a wondrously beautiful day that we have to keep our eyes on. We should anticipate. When all things are in God's order and true justice is done. Okay, that's what that means, right? And uh, I like what Edward Reynolds, that old pastor, said again. He said, justice is the most orderly virtue, that which keeps beauty upon the face of a people, as consisting in itself symmetry and proportion, end quote, right? So when things are in order, when God's enemies, Christ's enemies are, are, are done away with, they're, they're just dealt with, right? Things come in order. God is a God of order. He loves justice. He's going to make things right. So um, we could say more on that, but let's, let's move on to verse 37, okay? The last part of this point. The large crowd enjoyed listening to him. A- another translation is they were gladly hearing him. Okay? In a few days, many or most of them would be shouting for his blood rather than quietly listening to him, as we opened up with those Proverbs talking about listening well, right? Um, interestingly, and maybe even ironically, maybe even sadly, the crowds who were hailing him as the son of David on Palm Sunday, just the other day, the son of David hailing him when Jesus came riding in on the donkey, right? Many of these same people are going to turn on him. Why? Their own theology was messed up. Their own Christology was off. It was wrong. Okay? They were incorrect. They were following their leaders. And this is where the implication and application comes for us. All right? And I'm just going to give you two real quick. Be careful of false theology, okay? especially false Christology. That's the whole point. But I'm going to say this. Number one, in preachers and teachers that you listen to. Be careful of false Christology in preachers and teachers that you listen to or read. Okay? Listen, every single rel- religious cult. Okay? When I say religious cult, I'm talking about the ones that are based on Christianity. They teach a false Christ. They either demean the person of Christ, who he is, or they diminish the work of Christ. One or two of those things, or both. The Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Moonies, Unification Church, all of them, all deny the deity of Christ in some form or fashion. And all of the religions, actually, Every other religion outside of these relig- Christian religious cults, so-called Christian, have a wrong Christology too, obviously, right? Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of them, they, they have a wrong view of who Christ is. And all of them put together, whether they're a cult or they're a, a different religion, world religion, all of them have a system of works salvation, which, once again, degrades the work of Christ on the cross for salvation, They think you have to work for it. You have to do something to earn it. When Jesus says, I have accomplished it all. I paid the debt. It is finished. So, I want to add to that. Any preacher or teacher who says that these religious cults or what these other religions say or teach are okay, says that we as Christians, we we can't be judging them, watch out for them. Be very caring and be very careful about false Christology and anyone who endorses false Christology. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Right? Listen to 1 John 4, verses 1 to 3. 1 John 4, verses 1 to 3. Maybe this is review, but... Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world... By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. 1 John 4, 1-3. We have to be very careful, folks. And again, this is in the spirit of Grace and truth, and um, 
God himself tells us to be, be careful, all right? So the second thing, uh, as far as implication or application for us, is this. Be careful of false theology. That's the main point. Not in just teachers and preachers, but in yourself. In yourself. What do you believe about Christ? Who he is? What his purpose is? What he has accomplished? And who is he to you? And many people become Christians, quote-unquote, because of what God can do for them or what Jesus can do for them. And this can happen in a very subtle way. So we need to be on guard. And Jesus can become the small s savior okay, of our earthly desires and needs. The one is, who's going to help me get what I want in life. Right? I need to keep believing in him and keep believing in God because otherwise my needs won't be met. My dreams won't be fulfilled, and my wants will be left wanting. That's a false Christology that none of us should fall into. Hey, remember, King David calls the Messiah my Lord. And this is King David we're talking about. So far greater than any earthly king or savior, that's his master, Jesus, Adonai, the Lord. He's the second person of the Trinity, the one and only Son of God. He's God, the Son. He's co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, yet distinct from the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We are to do what he says. How did it ever become, Jesus needs to do what, what I say? Jesus needs to fulfill all my wishes, and all my dreams, and all my ambitions. And this is Jesus, Lord of all creation, Lord of all nature, Lord of all the supernatural, Lord of the heavens and earth, Lord of all. And yet, yet, what a benign and caring and compassionate and loving Lord who who does promise to take care of all of our needs. He promises to take care of all of our needs, Not not of our wants, all of our needs. He promises, guarantee, and more importantly, he gives us every spiritual blessing. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3. I like Dave's prayer um, just about God's provision, most importantly, our provision of forgiveness of sins and salvation in Christ. But then he adds on, Everything that we need, day by day, moment by moment, he provides. So Christians, we must be careful of false theology, okay? In, in teachers, in preachers, in anyone, and also in ourselves. What do really, we really believe about the Christ? Okay, the second point is going to be shorter, but it's this. Beware of faulty character. Beware of faulty character. That's verses 38 to 40, back in Mark chapter 12. And the Lord is continuing his teaching here, okay, this precious time of instruction. And remember, these are among the last things he decides is worth teaching. And what does he do but give a warning? What does he warn of there in verse 38 in his teaching? He was saying, beware of the scribes. It was just teaching on their doctrinal error, right? Their wrong, false Christology. Now he gives a warning of the scribes themselves. Their teaching, and now them. In Matthew 23, he calls them and the Pharisees over and over and over. Matthew 23, it's the immediately following this, uh, this time, this, this teaching. Okay? Very forthrightly, very plainly, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites. Hypocrites. Here in Mark, Jesus exposes their pleasure in activities that call attention to their own importance. Okay, all of it describes their vain self-glory and pride, right? Look how he describes them. Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. And, and, uh, and for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. And Jesus says, beware of these men's faulty character. 
Hey, they like to walk around in long robes, right? Putting on airs, strutting around, clothed like, like kings and priests. They're so important performing these official functions in their flowing holy attire. Hey, look, how, look how devout I am. They like respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Hey, they enjoyed being bowed down to, receiving formal salutations, being called rabbi. Hey, this goes beyond normal respect or friendliness. Okay, they liked, they liked, they enjoyed the public, public recognition of their prominence. What else? They liked the chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. So whether it's in times of sacred worship or it was at social functions, they relished having those best seats right in the front, right? The most prominent, the, the lifted up ones, the raised up ones where everyone can see reserved for men of high esteem and honor. And the last thing, we'll get to the other thing too, but for appearance's sake, for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. Right? Sometimes my kids complain a little bit when I pray too long during our family devotion time, especially when it's getting later into the night. And uh, my, one of my sons just, uh, just uh, gave me a kind word uh, semi-recently just about when we have youth night and um, I, can, I can shorten those prayers down, but these prayers of the Pharisees and scribes, they were not out of love and devotion to God. Rather, Jesus himself says their public prayers were lengthy for appearance's sake. And that's just for show, a display of how devout and pious and holy they were. On the outside, it was not a genuine fear and love for God. Jesus says, beware of scribes like this. Okay, And I think he's saying that not necessarily every single one of them were, right? We know of at least two Pharisees who ended up believing. And you read Acts, and there were, there were some more, okay, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. But um, in Acts, you read of, of, of more who came to faith. But he says, watch out. Watch out for these scribes when you see this kind of behavior. It reflects a character of self-glory and pride, which, if you think about it, when, you, when, when we have self-glory and pride, we are stealing glory from God. And God says, I will not share my glory with another. And he's the only one who deserves that kind of honor. Going back to the Proverbs again, as I opened up with, listen, Proverbs 25, verse 6 says, Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Later on in Proverbs 25, verse 27 for men to seek their own glory is not glory. Okay, Jesus is saying to us today, be careful of false theology and beware of faulty character. Again, Proverbs 21, verse 4. Listen, haughty eyes, right? A haughty look, a one that's, look that's looking down, condescending on others. And a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin. It's sin. Understand what great sin pride is. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. So Jesus goes on in this, this indictment, this warning, this admonition. Okay, I skipped over one, going back to Mark 12. He says, who devour widows' houses. This is part of their faulty character. Okay, and it always plays out in action, folks, this, this vain self-glory and pride. And um, he's alluding to certain Pharisees and scribes who were somehow taking advantage of widows financially. Okay, instead of caring for these vulnerable women, as is commanded of God's people over and over in the Old Testament, as, as most weak and needy and vulnerable, instead of supporting and helping them, Somehow they were doing the very opposite. Okay? This is uh, devouring their, their houses, taking ownership of their possessions and their money and their resources. Okay? This reveals not only pride and vainglory, but also greed and avarice. Financial greed and love of money is a mark of many false teachers. And believe me, folks, this has an impact on just uh, as we're trying to witness to people. I met a guy on the plane um, just going over to Pennsylvania for my, my mom's funeral and to be with my family at that time and uh, witnessing, sharing the gospel with the guy sitting next to me. 
And he was telling me all his complaints about the church and about, he named them, Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen. These guys are, are living in, in incredible mansions and uh, they're traveling by, by private jet and they're multi-multi-millionaires and they wear the best things, they have the best, um, all of everything. And he said, how is that a pastor? How is that a, a preacher of God's word? I don't know if this, this man didn't seem like he was saved, but he recognized that that's not a man of God. That's not a, a shepherd. That's a, that's a false prophet. And I'll, I'll tell you this, too. Um, one of the, the religious cults is one called the, the Unification Church. And the leader of that cult, he's, he's dead now. He was, he's a Korean man named Sun Myung Moon. And uh, knowing firsthand from someone who was in that cult, in a high position of leadership, talking to him, um, uh, he knew the lavish lifestyle that this, this man, Sun Myung Moon, who claimed to be the second coming of Jesus Christ, and all his followers believed that. But he was living large, just always in comfort and, and luxury and just uh, rich expense and everything. And um, the way that he justified it to his leaders was that, oh, but, but true father, that's what they called him. True father has so many important people to, to meet with and so many world leaders to, to, uh, to accommodate. And so he needs to uh, be able to have this huge mansion and, and show that he's, he's, uh, he's up to their level. And uh, that's the way that he earns their, their respect and that he can uh, tell them about God. So that's the way that they, they um, justified all of this. Okay, um, look what it says here. Look what Jesus says. He says, these will receive greater condemnation. Greater condemnation. G- greater condemnation than what? Folks, as if hell was not bad enough. Because as if the eternal fires of hell was not bad enough a judgment. Okay, on, on sinners who will, who will reject Christ, that's what's coming. But theirs is an even heavier sentence. Okay, a more severe punishment, overflowing condemnation. Okay, the day of their retribution is coming. And so the, the Proverbs even speak to that in its wisdom. Proverbs 11, verses 3 and 4. Listen, it says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. A few verses later, Proverbs 11, verse 6. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed. So, very quickly here, we need to beware. Be on guard, dear folks. Jesus says, be on guard of this kind of faulty character. And once again, two ways, right? Number one, in spiritual teachers, hey, be discerning, be discerning. Okay, do not judge um, in a condemning, malicious, just uh, evil-spirited way. But the command is not do not judge, but rather judge rightly. Okay, judge rightly. Judge with a discerning, loving, truthful spirit. I already read to you First John chapter 4. But... Um, Again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 says, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Okay, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So um, be discerning, folks, and be discerning about their, their conduct. You know, not everything that we read on the Internet is true, but we need to be discerning even about that. And so um, Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, it's a good uh, summary of false teachers' character and, and just uh, people like this. And uh, Proverbs 6, and it describes six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him once again. Listen, verse 17. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. And when you think about the Pharisees, scribes, these people are trying to trap and destroy Jesus, what they do to the vulnerable, what they do to the weak, for the people that they're supposed to be ministering to. Instead, they're lying, they're cheating, they're greedy, they're taking advantage of them. Okay? Hatred, 
This is, this is a good summary of them. Be discerning of false, faulty character in supposed spiritual teachers. And also be on guard for this in yourself. Vainglory, pride in yourself. Okay, let me just give you some quick um, helps from uh, a pastor named Rod Matun. Okay, he says, when we exalt ourselves, a vainglory, self-glory, self-importance, when we make life about us, okay, listen, just a, a number of things here. A problem with pride is demonstrated. Okay? If you ever start putting yourself uh, above others and exalting your own importance above others, life is, it becomes about me, it's not about others, it's not about God, it's not about the church, it's not about, I, I base all my decisions on, on me, a problem with pride is, is starting to develop. Okay? Number two, a passion for prestige is displayed. Right? You want your own name being displayed. Three, we are preoccupied and neglect the needs of others. Okay? You might not know this, but when your life is consumed with yourself and, and your, your own interests, um, now you get preoccupied with that and you neglect the needs of others. Right? Well, I'm not going to a Bible study because I'm just not into that. Right? Well, Bible study is there not just for you. It's for others as well, right? So your attendance and your participation there is a gift to others. Four, we puff up with the estimation of ourselves, right? Unknowingly. And it's like the, the guy who's, who, who leaves the restaurant with like a, a blob of cream cheese on their mustache, and uh, he doesn't realize it, right? And like no one, no one, no one takes the time and care to, to tell him about it. Okay? And he thinks he's, he's like, you know, the handsomest guy in the room. Number five, we get pig-headed and principles of wisdom are rejected. Okay? Stubbornness uh, usually follows and accompanies pride. We see it in the Pharisees and the scribes, right? We need to be on guard for ourselves. Principles of wisdom are rejected or they're not taken heed of. Right? We hear sermons. We read the word. We might hear a sermon outside and it, it, it has no effect. Six, we put off or turn off other people. Okay, our, our, our pride that we, we can't see, it starts to repulse other people. It's like two, two magnets, right, that, that are not coming together, right? They're, re, they're, they're repelling. Number seven, we produce hindrances to being used of God. Okay, when, when we're caught up in ourselves, folks, we can't be used of God for, to bear any fruit for him. It's, it's really difficult to bring honor and glory to Christ and share the gospel when, when we're consumed with ourselves. Eight, a few more. We position ourselves for demotion or embarrassment. Okay? Uh, another proverb says, a haughty spirit before destruction comes a haughty spirit, right? And pride before a fall. Our arrogance leads to fall and shame. Number nine, our peace is rare because... We're struggling to compete with others. That's what pride does too, right? Self-glory, self-vanity. Self okay? we, don't, we don't have inner peace because then we start comparing with others rather than focusing on God and Jesus and the gospel and the word. Lastly, proper actions are neglected. Just things that we know that we're supposed to be doing, that we should be doing as Christians, uh, they become neglected because, well, I know what's good for me. I know what's, what's better. Right? And we start not to heed God's word. And so we need to be very, very careful, folks, not just in, in discerning the faulty character of spiritual teachers and preachers and stuff that we read out there, but, but also in ourselves, in ourselves. So to wrap up, to conclude, okay, Jesus gives this correction today, right, in doctrine and in character. Why? Listen, it's out of love for the people that he's talking to. Like I said, I, I see that as an invitation, even maybe a last gasp chance for, for these Pharisees, these scribes, to, to realize their error and come to faith in Christ. Um, and he's talking out of love for us today. Okay, If some of these applications seem a little pushy, um, I'll let the Spirit do what he will with that. Okay, Jesus' aim was always to do his Father's will to always bring glory to God. Everything that he did, everything, every word that he said, hey, the corrections about theology and warnings about character, they all reflected God's holiness and his complete and utter love 
for God. And I'll end with Paul's almost final words to Timothy. Okay, 1 Timothy 4, 16. Right? He tells Timothy this. Pay close attention to yourself, okay, your life, your character, your conduct, and to your teaching. This is your doctrine, your theology, your instruction, what you're teaching. Paul says, persevere in these things. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to persevere in, in paying close attention, taking very close heed to our life, our character, and our doctrine, what we learn, what we know, and what we're teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And praise God that he uses even humble vessels, human instruments like us to save sinners as we share the gospel of truth with them. Right? Your doctrine and your life matters dear faith bible church and um let us uh let us take those words to heart this morning please pray with me father god thank you for uh, the timeliness of your word and once again the wisdom of it not just in proverbs but in the the truth of the whole council of scripture thank you for the aid of the those nuggets from proverbs today but um help us god to to be careful of both false theology and beware of the faulty character um, in, in teachers out there and also just even within our own church and also within ourselves. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who continues to convict and challenge and change and sanctify us. Thank you, God, that we are transformed by your word and um, we can bring glory to you in our lives as we, as we take heed and apply these things to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.